0: great to, to be with you um, this morning, really is. Uh, it's lovely just to worship together, isn't it? And it's always great when we can gather again in the presence of God and just worship. Um, for me, it felt like you just, I don't know, sat at the side of a cool river just enjoying the presence of God together. Someone strumming a guitar, that was just a lovely sense of the atmosphere of God. Um, let me just say a little bit about the book. Um, I I think I told you before when i 've come here about our Son coming to the Lord a few years ago and how unexpected it was how God moved just powerfully in his life and he came to know Jesus for the first time and One of the things I was trying to do with him in those early days and, and uh, months of him walking with God was find some devotionals for him. Uh, he was never a great reader growing up despite his grandma 's best efforts um, so <laughs> So, you know, Stephen Gerrard book, he'd probably read, something like that. Um, so I was trying to get some devotionals that had some decent content, but were, some, were short enough for him to read. And I found some uh, that I, I would buy him a copy and me a copy, and he would normally beat me to finish them. And then I thought, well, why not write one? So uh, I guess living in the big story, the, the, the big narrative from Genesis to Revelation of Scripture is something that I've been in for quite some years. And so I thought, why don't I do that, just drop him down, through the scriptures, bit by bit, on a day-by-day basis, in a way that it's short enough for him to read, but also got content in there. So that was part of my motivation for writing um, what I did. Uh, it was, was because of Steve coming to the Lord, which is, yeah, just fantastic. Um, today, I want to look at resurrection. You know, as we gather here this morning, we're gathered not because we go through rote, or pattern, we do that. In a, in a sense, we, are, we do habitually gather. But actually, there's a, there's a foundation uh, that we put our feet on, which is really the motivation for why we gather as the people of God. And I want to look at Luke chapter 24. If you've got your Bibles, or your phones, or whatever you use, um, if you want to find the end of Luke chapter 20, 24. We know that in Luke, salvation is a big deal for him. He... In his gospel, is all the time trying to show how this gospel is for everyone. It's for the rich, it's for the poor, it's for women who were marginalised in their day, it's for the lowly, this gospel is for Samaritans, it's for everyone. There's no strata of society that is outside the reach of this gospel. And when he comes into Acts, which he also wrote, he then looks at the geographic spread of that gospel. This gospel is for everyone. It's for my Steve, who hadn't been walking with God for many years. It's for him. It's for others who we're praying for, who are yet to make that step of putting their faith in Christ. It's for them. This gospel is for every single person. And I want to, in a sense, raise our expectation that this gospel will be at work in people's lives. We may not always see it, but God, by his Spirit, is at work. Luke's gospel is centred on Jesus as the spirit anointed one. If you look at the birth narrative in Luke, it's saturated by spirit activity. Think of Luke 4 as well when Jesus is in the temple and he picks up the scroll and defines his ministry as the one that Isaiah speaks of as the spirit anointed messenger. This gospel is full of spirit activity and this gospel is written by a guy called Luke who is is trying to write for this guy called Theophilus in a very historic way. He wants Theophilus to understand what's been going on with this Jesus movement, this movement that's hit his area. What is this all about? I want Theophilus to understand it and I'm going to give him an ordered account of it. What is Luke saying? This is not, in our parlance, fake news. This is true. This is history. This is robust. This does stand. And he wants Theophilus and his subsequent readers to understand the substantial nature of this message of the Gospel. As we come to the resurrection stories in Luke 24, it brings all those strands together. Obviously, it's centred on Jesus as the resurrected one, We also see the place of the Spirit and we see very much Luke continuing to say this is real, this is history. This actually happened. In Luke 24, in Luke 23 we have him crucified. In Luke 24 we have three stories of resurrection appearances and it's the third one that I want to look at. The first one, if you remember, is the women coming to the tomb and Jesus' body is missing. The second one is that Emmaus road journey where two disciples are wandering to, heading back to Emmaus, having been in Jerusalem, thoroughly dejected. Everything they had hoped for that would take place at Passover in Jerusalem that year when they expected and hoped that Jesus would call them to arms or somehow deal with the Romans and re-establish Israel as its own place again had not transpired. This one they thought the Messiah had simply been killed. They're heading back to Emmaus pretty dejected, and do you remember Jesus appears alongside them, speaks with them, their hearts, they speak of being strangely warmed, but it's as he breaks bread with them in the house that they suddenly recognise who he is. And so these guys have just come from that Emmaus experience. They're back with the disciples, the eleven and those gathered with them, and they're just speaking to them about what's taken place When we get our passage, and we'll read from verse 36. While they were still talking about this, the Emmaus Road encounter, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood, flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The setting then is the eleven and others gathered with them, a grouping that was perhaps just regrouping after the failed events of Passover, of the Passover week. So, the Emmaus Road was anything to go by, that's probably what's going on in their psyche. The Messiah's been killed, what are we to do? Three years of walking with Jesus and following him, some of them. Three years of wondering, wondering whether he was the one they were waiting for. Now, perhaps in their mind, thwarted. It's not turned out as we expected. We've been proved to be mistaken. That's probably the kind of conversation and thinking that's going on in their minds. And Jesus suddenly arrives in their midst. Suddenly, he's there. And he says to them, Peace be with you. The fact that he says, Peace be with you, is probably indicative as well that they weren't at peace. That they were in turmoil. They were struggling with the events of the week and the events of the three years and where they'd placed their hopes. Jesus comes suddenly. And says, peace, be with you. We sometimes, as Jeff has alluded to already, and we've sung about, go through those times, don't we, where actually the enemies seem to be crowding in. It doesn't quite pan out in the way that we would have planned. We're in turmoil and questioning, and even today, Jesus wants to say, peace, be with you. What's really interesting in this narrative is that instead of producing peace, ironically, <laughs> Jesus' appearance produces fear, startling doubts, the opposite of what he's trying to speak to them about. Probably told you this story before, but when Helen and I were in Canada one uh, summer holiday, I think it was, we were down in Banff and we were in a log cabin uh, in the snow. And mum and dad were coming to visit us and Ruth was coming to visit us and the kids who would have been four, two and zero, something like that then, didn't know they were coming. And we were waiting in the cabin for the knock at the door and when the knock came to the, came at the door, we sent the kids to, to greet them, to open the door and see who was there. And it was amazing to watch their, their reaction. One of the children there, George just went like that, seeing grandma and granddad uh, at the door. Another one went running up and down the, 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 the lounge, just excited, and the third one burst into tears. <laughs> what are you thinking? Who are these strange people? <laughs> A good thing that produced three different reactions. And here is Jesus saying, peace in your turmoil, but producing all kinds of different reactions. Why? Because they're not... Prepared for resurrection? Are we ever? My kids weren't prepared for mum and dad, grandma and granddad, and Ruth suddenly being at the door, and so their reactions are just very, very different. They're not ready for this, and here, these disciples who are still confused despite what's already taken place in this chapter, as Jesus appears suddenly and resurrection is right there in their midst, they're filled instead with fear and anxiety. They're not ready for resurrection. It broke into their existence unannounced as far as they were concerned. They didn't see it coming. This Resurrection is outside our control, isn't it? It's not at our beck and call. We don't master it. It masters us. Wouldn't we like to master it? I'll have a resurrection moment here and here and here and here, please, Lord. And yet resurrection breaks in when it breaks in. As I've told you before, we did not see really Steve coming to Christ when he did. Of course, like many of you, we prayed for him. Many of you, for your kids and others. And suddenly, Jesus broke in. It's interesting in this story that the only one speaking is Jesus. There's no words directly in anyone else's mouth. It's almost like Luke wants us to know that they are passive recipients of what Jesus wants to do. That who is the central one here? He is. His resurrection, his proclamation of peace, his presence, that actually everything else revolves around him. They say nothing. They simply see and look and watch. We're the resurrection community, aren't we? Our job is to see, have eyes opened, but to know that we don't control resurrection. It happens as God dictates. It's out of our control, which maybe is why we get fearful and anxious because we like to be in control so often. As they see his hands and his feet, they believe, but 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 they don't really believe. They have joy and amazement, but can this really be true? They're not wanting to believe, probably, but only to be proved false and taken away again. They've been down that path, been down that road, we believed in this man and he's been crucified, but but, is this really him? You can understand their caution. As, Are we going to believe again? They had hoped for so much and thought it had come to naught, but now this might be him? Doesn't resurrection give us hope? sometimes tentatively, sometimes we don't quite know whether to put our full weight on it. (laughs) Because maybe things haven't panned out in the way we wanted, but resurrection comes to us and gives us hope. Gives us an eternal perspective that says I can put my weight on it. Gives us hope for others, for situations that we're praying for. Whether in this life or in eternity, that actually God, the resurrected one, will have his way. Jesus then shows him his body. They think he's a ghost in this tentative state of not quite knowing, is resurrection really taking place or not? So he shows them his body. Look at my arms. Look at my flesh. It's me. A ghost, he says, doesn't have flesh and bones. And then he says, if you've got anything to eat, give me some fish. And they give him fish. What's going on here? I think what's going on here is Luke wants us to know this is no ghost. This is no figment of their uh, imagination. Theophilus, his first hearer, but us as subsequent hearers. This really did take place. This was not a ghost a vision, an apparition, a dream. This was none of that. This one had flesh and bones. This one eats fish. This really is the resurrected Jesus with body in your midst. This is physical. Now believe. It's like Jesus is stepping into their doubts and saying, come on then, I'm going to give you something tangible to put your feet upon. You're going to see my flesh and bones. You're going to watch me eat fish so that you know I am no ghost. I am no figment of your imagination. I am no hallucination. I am none of that. I am a physical resurrected being in your midst. Do you believe? This is historic. This is substantive. Found it really interesting. We in our we run a discipleship group. Helen and I in our house as part of the Hub Church, and um, we did some work around this passage. And the thing that came out very strongly was how our faith is built on this kind of evidence, and not just our generic faith as Christians as believers, but actually if we're to step out into something in faith. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's not a will-o'-the-wisp. It's not an apparition. Actually, I can go, God, you're going to have to give me some evidence on which to build my faith. If you think about different projects that we might enter or different faith steps we might take as a community, God, give us some evidence to build our faith. God isn't saying, make it up. God isn't saying it's it's just the good ideas of men. He's saying, actually, here is some physical evidence of my resurrection. I love the fact God stepped into their doubt and confusion and said, you want something to build your faith on? Here it is, substantive. I think there's something of guidance in there for us. When we're stepping out in God, that we're not just dreaming dreams and saying, God, will you bless that dream? But we're saying, God... Give me eyes to see this substantive evidence upon which I can build my faith for this situation or that situation. Give me something. And God in his grace, I think, does. And they become witnesses. Witnesses with substantive evidence. They become witnesses of something that has really taken place. And we get drawn into that as a crowd of witnesses to Him. Now we haven't seen Him physically yet. But our lives and our testimony of walking with Him, and the lives of those around Him of walking with Him, and what He's done in our life, we become witnesses. As Luke is putting this historic document together, we become those who add our testimony to those of who have gone before to say, "This really is real. He really is alive. He's done this. He's been here. He helped me there. He helped me through this suffering. This is real." No mind over matter, no ghost-like apparition, no vision or imaginative experience, no encounter in some heightened state of spiritual or emotional experience. This is resurrection. And note, I think this may be for some of you here this morning, this is the third story in this chapter about resurrection. First one, the women go. and They come back and tell tells the he's not there, he's gone. And what happens? Peter runs down and finds the cloths and the body's not there. He follows. Doesn't see Jesus, but follows. Then we have the second story with the guys on the Emmaus Road and suddenly their eyes are opened as he breaks the bread and they realise he's in their midst. And they The the women witnesses, the guys on the Emmaus Road witnesses, they all come and meet with the eleven and those gathered with them. And they start to testify about what's taken place, or at least raise it in question form, let's say. And then Jesus comes again three times. Three sets of witnesses. I felt like as I was praying and thinking about this this morning that the Holy Spirit highlighted this journey of one, two, three that it wasn't the first time that they encountered Jesus, that everybody, oh, of course. But actually the hope is in Jesus keeps coming, Jesus keeps coming, Jesus keeps coming. And we may not see it, and the people we're praying for may not see it the first time, but that doesn't mean he hasn't appeared. But he'll come again. And he'll come again. And eventually as the witnesses mount up and as Jesus keeps coming, suddenly people... We'll see. I've got people I'm praying for. And I haven't seen yet. But I'm waiting for that moment of revelation. Here in this story, we find three times resurrection appearances. Eventually, they come to a place where they start to believe. Maybe that's for you. Maybe that's for people you're praying for, the process. In fact, Lord, we pray right now for those revelatory moments to come to those that are our hearts and minds at this time. Pray right now, Lord, even whatever they're doing, we pray, Holy Spirit, you're, we know you're the only one who can bring revelation. We pray, open minds, open hearts. Right now, we pray, Holy Spirit, pull back the veil that's clouding some people's vision that are in our hearts and minds, and we pray, would you open that they would be overwhelmed by your reality? That as Luke writes about how real you are, We pray that those we're thinking of right now would become overwhelmed by your love and your presence and that you are alive. We pray for that, Lord. Resurrection is about God, isn't it? He's at the centre of this thing. Jesus is the one speaking. They are simply the one who have to have eyes to see The disciples in this story say nothing, as we've said. They don't initiate resurrection, Jesus does. They just need eyes to see, and they can hardly see, but light is starting to dawn. I was praying for someone recently, and God, most of the time I've been in a a, a recent period anyway, I've been in good faith for this person, and Just one of those days where you're starting to feel like, "Eh, what's happening here, Lord? As I was praying, like, Lord, I just need to see. Just let me see, let me glimpse again something of what you're doing. Let me just know again that you're there at work to fuel my faith, to fuel my hope, to keep me praying. But maybe I just didn't see. Maybe I need my eyes open to see what God is doing. Maybe I'm looking for the wrong things. So in this story, we come to this day of resurrection, the day of fulfilment, and Jesus starts to tell them, or Luke does, how all these sayings about the Son of Man, suffering and being handed over to die and rising in three days, are all being fulfilled. This is the fulfilment of the whole big story, the law, the prophets, the psalms, he says, the whole thing is being fulfilled in me. This is the day of, of new creation. If you look at the beginning of Luke 24, it talks about the first day of the week in in verse 1. In verse 13 it says, the same day of the week. Or the same day. We're still in that same day now when the disciples are gathered. I think Luke wants us to go, there's a new day. And this is the day of resurrection. And on that day, new creation is taking place. And everything, everything changes. Everything changes when we see. Everything changed for Steve when he saw. Went through a process and still in the process, like all of us, of discipleship and all that. But everything changed. Everything changed. There was hope. In his heart. There was hope in our hearts. This is the first day of resurrection. And everything changes. We've been running an Alpha and there's a lady who um, has been on it uh, in, uh, through the hub. And she actually lives in Overton. and um, she's, She actually is uh, one who's... She's made a commitment. She's come to Christ. Apparently, when... Um, this is the kind of lady she would. Oh, let me tell you the end bit first. So, Hazel goes to Overton to speak at West Church, um, one of our family of churches. This lady lives in Overton who's been on the Hub Alpha course. And so, Hazel says, Why don't you come with me? And says to her, because she's quite a shy lady, quite a quiet lady, Would well, you want me to introduce you to people? Do you not want me to? Do you want to say anything? Do you not want to? And she says, Oh, no, I'll, I'll say something. And so, this lady appears in front of the congregation and says, I do not know how I'm. Standing in front of you, I'm incredibly shy. I don't normally do this thing, and spoke apparently incredibly well. And I think has subsequently spoken again publicly. And she's a lady who, she would, by her own attestation, is incredibly quiet, incredibly shy. Oh, it was you. <laughs> you didn't like doing that, did you? Resurrection. <laughs> and she said, actually, when she got the invite to Alpha, she says, "I don't, I don't accept invites to anything." Like, like five times a year, maybe I'll accept an invite. And, she, and there's this invite, She just goes, I've got to go. I'll have that invite, I've got to go. And she knew God was after I think in the very first week, they were talking about God loving each one, and she knew that was for her. God was working in her life. Everything changed, because at that moment, she had revelation. Resurrection broke in to her situation. When we experience resurrection, he becomes Lord. He becomes the focus and purpose of our life. We get perspective on eternity. Our value on career and possessions and achievements changes because of resurrection. Everything changes. I don't just carry on my life but add Jesus to it. Everything, he is central. Resurrection is central. He's Lord. Everything changes. I've had some really bad news. I don't know if any of you picked it up this week, but... um, in one of our uh, churches in, the, in our wider network called the Sontlight for those of you who don't know Sontlight Network, a uh, guy called Ed Evans, 43, uh, had a heart attack and died. Uh, he was the, um, the leader, senior leader of, Ab- of the church in Abingdon. Three young kids, 12, 9, that kind of age, I think. Um, from our perspective, of course, tragic and uh, and yet, I, I, we we messaged Steve Jones, who leads Oxfordshire, and, and Steve Thomas, who, who's over there as well. Some of you will know them, um, just to kind of say our support and praying for you. And yeah, the, you know the message back of yes, the, the obviously the incredible sadness and, and tragic nature of this from our perspective. But this is where resurrection comes into play. This is where eternity comes into play. And suddenly you go. Because of resurrection, in that tragedy, everything has a different perspective. I was shocked, I think, by this one. So in the sale of our buildings, we had an agent uh, next door at Hollis Hockley, a guy called Nick Olive, who was our agent, probably late 40s, quite a fit man, a cyclist, getting to know him, Malcolm Murray, been getting to know him a bit, those of you who know Malcolm, uh, he suddenly died. Out, out on his bike, well, actually I think it was walking, policeman is part of the party, going past a nursing home, has a heart attack, they come out, do CPR, but can't save him. Uh, wow. Just like that. And I run. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> Isn't it funny though, how we try to, hold that at bay, and you end up having to go, well, God, it's in your hands. It's all in your hands. And the eternal perspective that says, yeah, my days are written in your book, and there's an eternity beyond that resurrection has opened my eyes to, that allows me to live in a different way. That actually I can't, I can't kind of work out answers to sustain this thing. I can look after myself. But my days are in the hands of God. Resurrection comes into. I think I kind of lost my notes a little bit. Into a suffering Messiah. As we sang about those songs, and Jeff drew out that particular one. Resurrection comes into a suffering Messiah. Resurrection is not triumph as we think. Resurrection appears here and there, amongst the lowly, amongst the marginalized, amongst the have-nots. Resurrection appears in those situations where often there is suffering and trouble and difficulty and even the Son of Man had to go through that in order to come out the other side and be resurrected. Resurrection does not say there'll be no shock, there'll be no death, there'll be no pain. But resurrection comes into those situations and cleanses and brings hope and sheds light. You watch people when they're in suffering, don't you? And you go, if they're believers, time and time again, you go, wow, wow. When God suddenly becomes very real to them, and you go, there's a resurrected Lord. When everything in them you think would be justified in turning their back and going away, because that's happened. And actually, a resurrected Lord steps in and gives them hope and comfort and peace. And this newly formed church gathering around Jesus become witnesses to this. They become those who have to proclaim that it is resurrection time. And it needs proclaiming. Because God doesn't do it the way we would do it. God doesn't go to McDonald's and say, can you set up a little store at the post of resurrection at, the, at, the, at where the cross was or where the, where the, where the grave was and we'll have a, the resurrection McDonald's store and we'll advertise and we'll get banners out. He doesn't do it that way. But actually resurrection is heard and touched and felt as we proclaim as witnesses. that He's done this in my life, he's done that in my life. There's a whole lot of resurrection taking place and no one knows. It's done in quiet places often. It's done in getting someone out of bed when they're depressed. It's done in giving someone hope in the midst of suffering. It's done when you take a guy who I've met in India in the past who would have been a beggar because he was blind. That would have all he could have done, beg to live and survive. But comes to know Christ and becomes a pastor, ultimately. And has a life that is so radically different from what it would have been. I'll be out with Tim and Rachel at the end of uh, this month and um, no doubt witnessing resurrection activity as villages and the albinos and etc., their lives are turned around. The resurrection breaks in and gives hope where actually society would have dismissed. This is resurrection time that needs proclaiming and this is repentance and forgiveness time when sins are being dealt with, when death is being defeated. I don't know how many of you heard, I heard all that uh, dilemma uh, that was going on around Michael Gove when he was running for the Tory party leadership and what he had or hadn't taken way back, was it 20 or 30 years ago? (laughs) And I heard this uh, interview on Radio 4 when they had a psychiatrist A theologian and maybe one or two others on there. And they're talking about what was right and what was wrong and how he should be treated and how he shouldn't be treated. One of the key themes that came out, whether you were a theologian or the psychiatrist, was basically we're all broken. We're all broken. I actually really appreciated the fact that at last we're acknowledging we're all broken. (laughs) We all need forgiveness. We all need grace. Not one of us has earned resurrection on our own. Not one of us can say I don't need that because I've lived such a good life. We're all broken. We all don't stick to the rules. And this resurrection says and forgiveness is here. One of the joys of being a pastor, it do not have to be being a pastor. I guess maybe I get opportunity time sometimes, but it's just when you sit with people who have who are caught up in their sin and you pray with them and you watch them as they get free again and get forgiveness and you watch their face change, I love it I absolutely love it and you see the freedom that comes because because actually they've encountered the resurrected Christ forgiving them the forgiveness that comes through that they haven't just managed it They haven't just somehow got their heads around what they did wrong that was damaging to them and others and, okay, I can put it in a little package and leave it there and I'll live my day somehow trying to... No, they've been forgiven. Washed away, cleansed, dealt with, gone, finito. And their face that's racked with guilt and shame suddenly brightens. It's Resurrection Day. And no one else may know about that apart from them, and you if you have the privilege of seeing it. And yet their changed life will affect so many others. And finally in this passage, as Jesus has these guys gathered around them and he commissions them and says, you're my witnesses. You're the ones to go proclaiming this. But wait in Jerusalem until you receive what's been promised. Here's the act of fulfilment again. Until what's been fulfilled that Joel wrote about, Ezekiel wrote about, Jeremiah wrote about. Wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. What clothes have you got on? What clothes have you got on? I want to wear the clothes of power from on high. I want to keep being full of the Spirit. I want to keep encountering God. I want His Spirit to fill me so that wherever He puts me, I'm, I've got the right clothes on <laughs> to minister, to pray, to be with, to encourage, to comfort, to see salvation, to, see, to proclaim forgiveness, to invite into the kingdom. I want the right clothes on and I know that I can't do it in my own set. So if I can get His set, if I can wear his glasses of resurrection glasses, if I can wear his clothes, the power from on high clothes, then maybe, just maybe, I can be the kind of witness that he wants me to be. Why don't we just pray? Maybe some of you this morning need to just receive that perspective again that God wants to bring. Maybe there's stuff in your life, circumstances, I don't know. Maybe some of you just need to encounter the Spirit again. Why don't we just open, if you're you're happy to, just open your hands. Maybe there's someone here who has never known that forgiveness, that release, not just managing it, packaging it up, but that release of guilt gone, shame dealt with. Maybe you've never come to Know this Jesus who Luke writes about as truly resurrected in physical form. I pray that maybe today you'd have a resurrection moment that you would see. If you need to grab someone afterwards, do grab them to pray with you if that's you this morning. You've never made that step to know Jesus. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to one of the leaders or someone you've come with. But Lord, as we're gathered here before you, thank you for resurrection. Physical, earthy, true, real. Not a figment of our imagination. Not an hallucination or a dream. But Lord as we encounter you in our lives and we encounter you in the lives of others we believe. We believe. Our faith is built on you. On the surety of the resurrection. Lord give us eyes to see. Open our eyes. We so often miss your work in people's lives. We so often don't see what we need to see. Open our eyes I pray. Let us see circumstances, for those we're praying for, for those who don't yet know you. Let us see what you're doing. Let us see resurrection invading their life, encountering them time and time again. And let us see them come to that place where suddenly, it's almost like their eyes are popped open. And they go, yeah, I believe. And I pray Lord as we're gathered here this morning you said to those disciples to wait until they received the power from on high. Clothe us with power. Clothe us with your spirit as Luke's gospel is full of your spirit and his empowerment, his enabling. Clothe us with power. Come, Holy Spirit. We know that sometimes we grow weary. Sometimes the passion drains from our lives. Sometimes we get caught up in our own sin. Come and clothe us, Holy Spirit. And fill us. That we could be the witnesses you want us to be in life and word. In deed and word. We could be the proclaimers the preachers, the testifiers to who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you do in our lives. I pray that for this community, Lord. I pray that this week, Lord God. I pray for each person here that they would have a moment where they see and a moment where they could proclaim. Would you open up those opportunities this week, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.